the debrief is so critical. What went well? What are the gaps or areas to improve? And what am I going to do tomorrow? Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 80% Mental, a podcast all about the psychology of sport and performance. I'm Dr. Pete Olushaga, and I'm here with Hugh Gilmore. And when I say I'm here, I mean I'm on the internet with, because we're still in the middle of a global pandemic with restrictions on meeting indoors. And to be honest, I don't really fancy doing this outside in December, do you? Not really. I mean, Pete, technically speaking, if you're on the internet with me, you're also on the internet with our listeners because they're listening through the internet is that not fair mm. to say yeah so I, I guess we're all here together okay so we're all here together um uh that's interesting anyway um how's things anyway uh Hugh I've 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 enjoyed series one um but I'm I'm absolutely loving what we've done so far in series two and I'm really looking forward to this one yeah I think uh the conversation with uh Camilla and Andrew was really useful for me. And uh, I, I also, I mean, I think the rest of the episodes have been brilliant as well. Um, sadly, I'd say this is maybe better than season one. Um, I don't know if that's that's true. That's up to our listeners. But uh, yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I just, I think that the, the quality of what we're doing is, I can't say that, can I? The quality of what we're doing is just getting higher and higher. I was talking about blowing your own trumpet. Um, well, no, I think, I think, I think you're, you're making right. less mistakes. <laughs> fewer um normally we start with a question um but while that seemed like a pretty good gimmick for the podcast it's actually really difficult to think continually think of uh questions around these topics so today we've got a competition instead of a question the event versus the grind there are some sports where athletes might spend a lifetime preparing for one shot one opportunity one competition one event and there are others where athletes have to push through a season competing day in, day out for months and months on end, only to just start again the next season. That's the grind. We're going to explore those contrasts in this episode, and Hugh and I are going to decide, based on evidence, because we're scientists, obviously, which type of sport is the best and which we'd rather compete in. Now, our guest today is a very special one, not least because she has expertise and experience as both a performance consultant and psychologist and a competitor on the world stage. And I'm so thrilled to introduce Dr. Karen McNeil. Karen, welcome to 80% Mental. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here. Now, Karen, you've almost two decades of experience and have been working with Olympians at the last four Olympic Winter Games, I believe. And in fact, you were the manager of sports psych services for Vancouver Olympic Committee's medical team at 2010 and the lead mental health counselor for Team Canada at 2018 uh, Games. And I think you, you're going to be doing the same in, in 2021. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. And but, but you competed as well, though, uh, at international level for over a decade. And was that what sport was that in? Um, in Canada, we called it field hockey, but in the UK, you might know of it as hockey. Right, because hockey is yeah. ice hockey in, in Canada. Right? And ice, yeah, but we don't say ice hockey here. We say hockey of for course. ice hockey in Canada. <laughs> but yeah, so field hockey for us Canadians and hockey for the rest of the world. All right, fantastic. Um, well, I'm absolutely thrilled. Well, he and I are both thrilled to have you on the podcast today. And I think you're going to lend a wealth of experience to to this particular topic. Um, 
So Hugh, before we get started then, I'm a hundred percent on the side of the grind. I'm I'm all for that day in, day out, you know, competing every week or every couple of days, grinding through a tough season. That sits with me nicely. I think I'd prefer that to working towards some sort of far off goal, you know, where you've only got one opportunity. Um that that's me. What about you? Where do you sit? The event or the grind? Yeah, I think uh, I'm much more, I prefer the idea of constantly playing because, you know, trying to do something for a four-year cycle, that seems very intense. Um, I think my idea of sport is something that you do throughout the year, not something you do at a part in the year, you know, it's like it's throughout the year and for enjoyment nearly, I suppose, I don't know. Maybe actually it's a perfect opportunity to ask our guest. Karn, what was what was the sport that you competed in internationally? So it was um, hockey. Yeah, field hockey. Field hockey. You've just said that, haven't you? Were you, were you not listening here? No, I was reading <laughs> Did through you the miss questions. That first bit? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Karn, I was reading reading through the questions, trying to get my head organized. Um, it's still it's still still <laughs> field hockey. It hasn't changed in the last couple yeah. of minutes. Yeah, yeah, still field hockey. Hockey for UK. <laughs> yeah. Field hockey for us Canadians. Yeah. So, Karen, I suppose, I mean, which which do you prefer, the event or the grind? And, and what are your thoughts on Pete's question? Well, uh, I mean, I think, you know, this is the thing is, is the the there, there's the event and there's a pinnacle um, crescendo. But playing for a decade, it was a grind. And, and we played in leagues. I played over in Europe for a couple of years. And, and so part of leading up to the event is a grind. Um, so I think there's a, a combination, but there's nuances to each one. So, so if you're playing, you know, let's take our professional sports, basketball or, or baseball or, you know, that's a long um, 162 game season versus mm-hmm. our Olympians who, who really are building to, for some, hopefully less than 11 seconds for an eight year period. Right. So there's, there's nuances to different. So, so yeah, in terms of what I would prefer, um, I, I kind of like the perform on demand, like, like need one opportunity and you got to do it, but the build to that through the grind. Mm. Well, we're going to revisit this after we've had a little bit of a discussion about some of these things. Uh, and I'm going to see if anybody changes their mind based on what we what we might talk about today. Um, for our listeners, if you want to get involved in this as well, check out our Twitter, uh, at EPM Podcast, and let us know what you think. Maybe you're an athlete that competes in one of these sport types, or maybe you uh, just have a an idea of the type of sport that you might want to be involved in. You know, what do you think, the event or the grind? Which do you prefer? So you've talked about what you might prefer, Karen, and I, I'm going to start with the the broadest possible question. You know, you mentioned the uh, you know 162 game season in Major League Baseball, and there's this idea of working for four, maybe even eight years towards an, an Olymp- Olympic cycle. What's harder? What's more difficult? Yeah, and, and 
It's a really good question, and, and it's hard to compare because it's apples and oranges, right? I, I think they're different, and I think they come, um, the context become comes with different pressure. So so you have, as we talked about, the event where it's a four, it's an eight-year cycle, and let's add the development years of probably 10 years on top of that to get to, you know, 12 seconds, and then you're done type of thing. Um, mm. And so it's a, in that context, the pressure is perform on demand. How good can I be in this singular moment? Where when you look at the grind, um, it's more around sustained performance over time. And it's really about performance consistency and bringing your best over a long period and the sacrifices that need to be made uh, and the nuances of, of, of what you have to give up for that committed season that period type of thing so so i think it's different i think both are hard um if it was easy we'd all been doing it right so um i think the the thing is is the competitors that i know the top performers they don't see it as hard but rather as a challenge how good can i be in this moment Hugh, have you got any thoughts here? Because you work with uh, you work with Olympic athletes, right? Building towards you know again that sort of four year, perhaps eight year cycle. What do you see from your perspective as a psych working in in, in in those sports? I think it's interesting because what I've been actually thinking about is the Paralympic athletes in powerlifting and strength sports um, like powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting are maybe a twenty year endeavor to get to that point. Whereas you look at somebody who does a speed sport like uh, what's that one where they slide down a big hill on a bacon tray? That one, um, the luge, luge and skeleton. Yeah, something like that. You know, yeah. Th- there's pe- there's people who have talent transferred out of sports in that um, in the UK, and within six months to a year, they're at international level. And I kind of I kind of think there's some some physical traits are you have them. And other physical traits take years to develop. And I'm just, that's playing about in my head at the moment. And then the other thing I'm thinking is, we frame this question as the event versus the grind. But like with the likes of field hockey or hockey, as Karns mentioned, you know, that's Olympic sport. And there is like a, a four-year cycle to that. But actually hockey for most people is played on a, a, a weekly basis um, across seasons. And, and that's kind of slightly different. We Maybe you've got multiple uh, multiple competitions so at the moment pete i'm a little bit confused but uh i'm intrigued because i think there's something here about the psychology of long-term long-term gains versus the enjoyment of the sport throughout the, the year or long-term desire mm-hmm. versus that short-term enjoyment uh what, yeah. what are you thinking yeah well i mean we're going to get into that we're going to get into some of the psychology that underpins these two perhaps different but as Karen's already mentioned, there's probably some overlap between these these uh, these two types of sport as well. But we'll, we're going to get into the psychology underpinning it, and we're going to start by looking at the grind. Now, one of the one of the best examples that I've heard of sports psychology in action was from the late great Ken Revisa, and he did a lot of work in baseball. And I heard a story one time, and people have to forgive me if I if I mess this up, but I heard the story about him. Um, lining up in practice, lining up 162 baseballs in front of the team in preseason practice and him asking the team to tell him, you know, what do you notice? What do you notice about these, these 162 baseballs? The answer, of course, being that they're all identical. One of them is not more or less important than the other and they all contribute equally to the big picture, right? 
baseball is obviously at the extreme end of the the grind. The NBA's got an 82 game season plus playoffs. The football leagues in the UK play 46 games. The Premier League, because they're special, only play 38. Um, how how do we maintain focus, motivation, consistency of effort? I think you've both mentioned already throughout such a long period of time. Yeah. And I, I love that. I always love Ken's stories. I met him <laughs> early on um, when I was like a little grad student at ASP and he always had the time for everyone. Right. And, and he always has these little nuggets and these metaphors that he uses. And mm. I think that's one of the points. Novelty metaphors um, have something to, to, to grab onto. And I think I think when you're looking at the grind, kind of that whole idea of grit comes to mind. So Angela Duxworth, that passion and perseverance towards long-term goals. And, and when you look at what douses grit, it's, it's typically fear and fatigue. So when you look at what you need to do to kind of maintain that motivation, I think it comes down to probably three things is number one, energy management. So managing that over time, um, optimizing focus so that you're paying attention to what matters most. And then it would be, I don't know if you'd language that as building confidence or managing the narrative um, that can lead to that fear and that fatigue uh, over time. So, so if we do a bit of a deeper dive into each one of those, so, so energy management, um, Jim Lord, Tony Schwartz, I don't know if you've heard of those fellows, but they've done a lot of writing on, on this. And, 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 and one of the things, one of the quotes they have is, is it's not the demand and stress, but it's the lack of intermittent recovery strategies that really care, kill the energy. And so, so when I'm working with folks who are needing to sustain for a long period of time, we really look at what are energy makers and what are the energy takers. And then it's really strategies or recovery plan around how do we boost, enhance those energy makers? How do we mitigate those energy takers? And, and really keeping people um, attached to the larger vision or the goal. Why are we doing this in the first place, right? So, so that would be one piece on the energy management. I think... Um, Secondly, when we look at, at optimizing focus, it all starts with clarity of what good is. So Ken put down those 162 games. If you were performing at your best in a game, what would that look like? And then it's a matter of figuring out, um, you know, those key performance factors. What do you need to do technically? What's the attitude or mindset that you're bringing? Um, where's that activation level at? Where is it needed? You map those out. And then it's about trying to maintain consistency over time. So if you, if you take those, say, five, six factors, can you get eight out of 10 on all of them on a consistent basis? And so it's really directing your, your focus towards process, right? It's, it's identifying what do I need to do to be good. And I think over a long period of time, it's that monitoring um, uh, in a way that is not arduous, right? It's got to be pretty easy. And it's reinforcing what some of those things are. I think in that, the debrief is so critical because uh, we'll have what's called time pollution. So we're done the game, but then mm. I'm home and I'm with my family and I'm doing whatever, but I'm still thinking about it because I made that one play and I'm stuck on it. And, and so I'm not with my family. Um, and so by debriefing each simple as, you know, what went well, what are the gaps or areas to improve and what am I going to do tomorrow? Right. So I think having a process for that. So that would be that optimizing focus. And then lastly, um, managing, managing the narrative and, and the story we tell ourselves, because I think you've heard about slumps in seasons. And I think that's, you know, when I work with athletes who are in, in big seasons, 
that's a, a, a big thing that they're trying to um, manage over time. And really it comes from the narrative and the story they're telling themselves, which is bleeding their confidence. Um, have you guys ever heard of James Gill, Dr. James Gill? He, he's a yeah. phenomenal human. You got to look him up. And, and it was a colleague who told me about him. Um, but basically he's a renowned eye surgeon, but in his spare time, he ran six double Ironmans. And so, you know what an Ironman, like it's mm-hmm. yeah. long. And he did that back to back. And so one of the quotes that, that came out from him is um, you need to talk to yourself instead of listen to yourself. And so the whole idea there is to have the mindset, to have the productive narrative, the messaging that you need to have when fear and doubt sent in, when you're feeling fatigued. So it's a bit of preparation within that as well. So, so I think over time, long-winded answer, if we break it down, energy <laughs> management, optimizing mm-hmm. focus, and, and kind of managing, maintaining confidence in that narrative over time. I think that's fascinating. I, I I love what you were saying about debriefing there in terms of the focus as well. Um, because again, from my own experience of playing basketball, I know exactly what you mean. That kind of, you know, you get to the end of the game and you're thinking, right, I should have done this, I could have done that. And you're kind of almost going over and over it in your, in, in your mind until the next game. And that's one of the reasons why I think I was on the side of that grind because I get another opportunity in a few days' time. You know, I get to come back and, and, and play again. Whereas... If that happens at, you know, the event, you don't have the same opportunity. It's that kind of one shot, one chance. But I love what you were saying there about, you know, having that debrief so that you can park that so that you can, again, maintain that focus on what's important at the, at, at the right time. That's right. And, and it's a one, two minute process, but so important. It could be longer if needed, but, but yeah, just make sure that's in. Yeah. Yeah. Hugh, any thoughts at this point? Yeah. Um, that was probably the most detailed answer we've heard <laughs> on the show. <laughs> um, that was brilliant. Um, but seriously, though, the, the final quote that you finished up with of uh, don't uh, listen to yourself, talk to yourself, that that was very powerful because I kind of think, like, in myself, I'm always going to, how am I feeling? I'm feeling okay to have the energy to do this. Now nah, I'll can that off. I'll not, I'll not go out and train. I'll not, you know, I'll because I'm finished up playing sport, I don't need to worry about it as much. But then it's kind of like, you know, if you're talking to yourself, then you're leading yourself, you're, you're stuck to your plan. There's a long-term identity in there that you're thinking about. And I just think that that really landed quite powerfully with me. But at the same time, you know, you, you've mentioned a number of things there uh, in terms of the debrief and just everything around that. And Yeah, I'm just, um, I'm thoroughly impressed. I'm, I'm curious though, like if... If you were to split yourself into a long-term or short-term identity, because we need both, we can't we can't have. We sometimes do need to listen to yourself when the pressure's too much or things are maybe becoming overwhelming. Uh, have you any advice on that in terms of making the judgment? Because it is about you know, at a certain point it tips and you maybe do need to listen to yourself. Um, have you any thoughts there? Yeah, great, great question. And I think the thing is, is we've got to look at, you know, we have, what, 80,000 thoughts a day. And and for those who who struggle a bit more, um, 60,000 of them are negative and critical. And so I think that's the that's the distinction is, is we, we have this inner voice that helps us to regulate and helps us to assess situations and helps us to look at danger and when, when we should stop things. So, so important to, to, um, I think hear the message. I think 
what and what I find with with my athletes um, uh, where they get into trouble is when there's that uh, we call it the critic when the critic is on um, and it's it's calling them names and it's putting them down and it's it's saying they can't which you know the question I ask is whose voice is that and and often they come up it's a parent it's a coach it's a teacher it's a bad experience it's a you know that's formulated into this belief system and so what we need to do is tease apart fact from thought, right? Just because I think it doesn't mean it's true. And so I think when we're, when we're thinking about productive mindset, what we're saying is, okay, what, what is the belief that I need to ground myself in to endure this situation or to execute in this situation? And typically it's something like, I got this, um, you've done the work, you can do this. But you're going to have, you know, like, like imagine two lawyers and, and there's an axe murder and he killed him. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. As soon as evidence comes up, the other guy shuts up, right? And so it's the same thing with these beliefs is you can't do it. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Well, you look at the evidence. Well, huh, I've trained for 10,000 hours. I've competed before and executed every single time. And I, oh, okay, no, I got this, right? So it's, it's that kind of idea. So, so back to your question, Hugh, um, we need to be aware of the data, the information, but we also have to hold on in terms of what's best for safety and performance, right? If that makes sense. Yeah, I'm definitely stealing that lawyer analogy. That is in my back pocket <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll be deploying it at work. <laughs> It's because what what you kind of just described there was like almost classic CBT, wasn't it? These are the thoughts that I'm having. Let's look at the evidence underpinning them. Let's do a kind of little bit of a cross-examination here and let's see, well, do I still believe in that original thought? The other thing that you mentioned coming from a completely different perspective was this idea that all of those voices that you hear are kind of familiar voices. You know, you ask the question, whose voice is that? And they are normally... uh, people who are familiar to us, parents, friends, colleagues, coaches. And, you know, I like to, you know, I come from a, a, an act perspective and we talk about those people as the passengers on the bus. Yeah. Um, we, we won't go into that here, but if you, if I Google passengers on the bus metaphor and watch some of the videos, because I think it's an absolutely fantastic uh, metaphor for some of those voices. And we need to understand that they are just passengers on the bus, but who's driving the bus? Well, I am. And I can take it in whatever direction I want, regardless of what those people are saying. Um, I've completely forgotten what my actual point was, but there was a, a really uh, a, a nice metaphor that you were using there. Well, maybe I could bounce off that a little bit if, if you're okay and just jump in. And, and mm-hmm. I definitely am act perspective as well. And so so I think the thing with these thoughts is is it's, I, I, I think if we try and get into the dance of refuting and, and, and challenging versus I'm getting hooked into these mm-hmm. and these are not serving me. And so that's where it goes back to that clarity who am I? And, and, you know, if we look at act, they talk about in values, right? So, so, so how do I want to behave as a human? How do I want to show up at my best? So, so I think with the thoughts and the feelings and all those things that are emerging, we like, like self-awareness is part of my model. One of the, one of the foundational pieces of it. Um, and so it's being aware of what that narrative is and then, and looking at, you know, what purpose is it serving, but also I think grounding ourselves in like that inner coach. And I think that's back to that point of, we need to talk to yourself versus listen to yourself. It's, we need an inner coach to just reinforce along the way as well. So, you know, I think, I think a lot of these theories can blend together, but we can kind of pick the pieces we like, can't we? So 
energy management, this idea about focus and managing the narrative for those uh, long grind type sports. I can see how some of that would be useful in the event type sports as well. Now at the Olympic games, you know, you're preparing for four, eight, sometimes 12 years, as Hugh mentioned early on in some of the Paralympic powerlifting sports, it can be a 20 year, uh, you know, pathway to, to, to the pinnacle of performance. There's such a narrow margin in some of these sports between gold medal and like 10th place. You know, you mentioned yourself that some of these sports, the performance is over after like 10 seconds. What separates the best from the rest in the context of something like that, something like the Olympic Games where the events are so quick, uh, yeah. yet you've been working towards them for so long? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And I just feel so fortunate to have a 20-year learning lab in this, right? Like a, like my first Olympics was 2002 as a young rookie. And, and we can talk about what not to do uh, with that. <laughs> but but I think just just learning over the years that there's a few things. And, and I don't know if you've, you could, do you guys know Seinfeld, Jerry Seinfeld? Is he hmm, popular yeah, yeah. in the UK? Okay. So so he had this skit where it's like, you know, you train your whole life. And, and then, you know, he's, he's talking about the 100 dash and it's like, first, second, third, never heard of you, you know, like it's, it's kind of <laughs> like, and, and, and you're all within like millimeters of each other crossing that line. Right. And so, so I think it, it really is, is what separates, what is that narrow margin? And, you know, sure we can go back to, to kind of the performance models we all know where it's a multitude of factors. Um, you know, Mike Gervais talks about, you can train your craft, you can train your body, you can train your mind. Um, I think equipment is in there, but really when we ask our performers, um, what made the difference or what let you down, they will often say their mind, right? Because the, the, the difference is, I mean, everyone's pretty technically sound. The, the physical part, like, like, like there's nuances within that equipment can, can manage, but I think that's a piece of it. And so when we do a deeper dive into that mental fitness and resilience, um, I think it's really, first of all, around the individuals who are able to execute in the moment, like at the last games, I had probably four um, individual who, who meddled. And, and when I, when I look at the common characteristics of those individuals, extremely high clarity on who they were at their best. Uh, what did they need to do to be their best in this moment, in this context? And so um uh, I heard, who was it? Sean McCain said, and he's been to 12 different Olympic games. And what he said is, we don't know, we don't want to have any certainty of the outcome, but, but you do know the behaviors you need to reproduce in that moment. And so with that, it's clarity of, of, of what are those behaviors? What, what are those things we need? And then it's a matter of establishing percentages. So you're tracking that over time as you train. So you look at those factors. It's like, yep, I was able to execute at an eight out of 10 on that. Um, and then that helps to produce this reliability. So going into the event, you have more kind of confidence on that. I think the other piece, as we've talked about, is that self-awareness, being such an expert on yourself how do I respond to stress and pressure? What am I going to notice in myself when games comes? Oh, okay. I'm probably going to do this. I'm probably going to hyper-focus on my mistakes. I'm probably going to, so then just let it be like, that's just part of, of you, but then bringing that focus back to what you need. Um, I think then, then of course there's the mental fitness skills and the resilience tools. I almost see it like your mental fitness golf bag. So if we're, if we're going around the course, you're not going to use a putter for every shot, not going to be effective. 
So you need your calm club, your focus club, your confidence club, right? So you have this arsenal of tools that you can use depending on what the internal environment is giving you. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, one thing that I've really noticed, especially at this last games was adapting or, or understanding the context. So those who perform and well, you know, I'm, I'm able to execute, um, let's say it's ski racing, I'm able to execute on this hill. Well, then they get to the games and it's a completely different emotional climate and external climate. So what's needed. And so I had an athlete who, you know, had a couple of, of games prior to it and pre going into that context, we really explored it. We painted the picture, we created the sense, and there was high emotion going on for this individual in my office. And I'm like, that's what you're going to experience times 10 at the games. And how are you going to imagine, or how are you going to manage when that comes up? And you know, individual end up winning a medal and whatnot. But, but I think it's painting the picture and knowing um, that contextually it's not going to be normal and you just got to sign up for it and have that little whisper of I can adapt or adjust to whatever comes my way. So that was another long winded answer. Sorry. I have, I think <laughs> I have my process and my model and anyway, but, but yeah, bottom line, have complete clarity who you are at your best, get your percentages, uh, make sure you're tracking that so you can produce that reliability, the mental fitness skills and tools, um, and the context, like really understanding that context and how you mm. need to adapt. I think it's really interesting there because, you know, the, the tendency or what you hear a lot of sometimes is the idea that, right, it's just like any other game. We're going to treat it like any other game or we're going to treat it like any other situation. What, what you've described there is saying, well, actually, no, it's not. And there's no use pretending that it's going to be because if you do that, when you get there and you discover that actually it's not, actually, you know, the, the, the stress and the pressure is, you know, multiplied tenfold. If you've yeah. prepared for this like any other game, you're going to come unstuck. You know, you need yeah. to prepare for it being special and being different and accept that, that, that it's going to be. One really good example as a rookie performance psychologist, sports psych, whatever you want to call us, mental performance consultant. Um, so 2002. We're, we're getting the speed skating team ready for Salt Lake City games and need the perfect ice and need the perfect environment. And we need to take care of everything for them. Well, you get to the games like six months after 9-11, it was not the perfect environment. And so that was a major fail where going forward, it was here are the fire drills. Okay, so let's hide the skates. So the individual doesn't have it and only gets his skates like, you know, 10 minutes before. How did he respond then? And, you know, so so it is how we how we um, prepare these individuals, the 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 helping them to um, adjust and adapt to a variety of contexts is so critical. Yeah. Hugh, have you ever done that? Have you ever hidden your athletes equipment to prepare them for the <laughs> Olympics? No, I haven't done anything quite as drastic as that. I'm aware things like that have been done in other sports, though. Um, I mean, within, I suppose, pressure training and Olympic weightlifting, uh, I did put plastic bin bags over the weights so that athletes didn't know what weight they had to lift in the training. And this was kind of funny because I told it to an able-bodied powerlifter who was like a world champion, and he started doing it on instagram and next thing you know the whole powerlifting community just memed him so uh apologies bryce you've took really good psychology advice and, and got uh you know picked on by the rest of the internet you, you mentioned um about what not to do 
earlier on uh, as a, as perhaps a young psych. And I think a lot of our listeners would actually be quite interested in that. You know, what are some of the mistakes maybe that you would make in preparing athletes for something like this? What, what are some of the, what are some of those things not to do? I think one of the biggest lessons that I learned is do your work, do your own work, you know, like, like, and I think, you know, we focus so much on the teams and the athletes, but I have to be completely prepared to be at my best at games. Games is like working in games. It's intense. Um, it's awesome, but there's so much going on. And I don't know if you've noticed, but I have a wee bit of energy. And so, you know, like being in an <laughs> Olympic environment is like having like an IV of Red Bull coursing through my veins and I just get switched on. And that was one of the mistakes in my early games is I'm coming off of retiring from being from from a career in sport where we didn't achieve um, my ultimate dream of going to the games to um, going to my first games. And so it was this. But I didn't do the work. I, I wasn't aware of how I may respond. I wasn't aware of how I needed to be. Fast forward to the 2018 games where I started a physical fitness regime probably a year out to make sure I was fit. Um, I had my nutrition plan. I did a mindfulness course just to do a little bit of a, another douse in my own regulation. And I created my performance plan of who I was at my best. And so I was able to execute in that and regulate during. So I don't know if it's it's too much about, I mean, I think learning as you go through, there'll be different nuances and you'll let go of, of the preparation. Like I had my worksheet for in 2002, here's a worksheet for you to do versus just be with the person and interact and, and give them what they need in that moment versus having everything planned, right? So, so I think the biggest advice, do your work, um, know who you are at your best and what needs to happen. And then I think it's, it's, it's part of that art form and just learning the process of consulting in the games context, because it's, it's very nuanced versus just being outside of that environment. That's, uh, that's exceptionally insightful. The idea that, you know, the sports psych is the performer. Um, I think there's even papers written on that and about how you need to be in the top of your game and especially in that environment where there's so much to be reactive to, and they can set you maybe a bit off course as well. Um, I suppose I'm interested, though, there's also the coach at play here. Um, you know, at the Olympics, what is it that a coach would need to do or, or what could they say to, to manage that high energy environment uh, and how would they be best on their game? So would you give the same advice to a coach or how would it differ there? And then similarly, what would a coach need to do in an environment in a more grinding sport uh, like, say, basketball? basketball? like say basketball or baseball <laughs> yeah so so great question and the coaches is, is is pretty instrumental uh, pretty key in in these environments and so so i think i would give the same advice and we do this with coaches and i think traditionally you know we focus on the team and the athlete and we, we often leave out the poor coach or the high performance director they're just as important and they can make or break you know the psyche of, a, of an athlete in the moment if, if they're not on so so absolutely uh get the coach to do the work know who they are their best all those kind of things i think in the event the coach uh i would say you know part of it is what creates um 
stress and anxiety can be when things are uncertain, unfamiliar, um, and thrown off. So I think the coach really provides that grounding, um, that familiarity. So what they do um, is pretty consistent. What they say is pretty consistent. Um, and so it's almost offering that, that grounding um, to the individual. I think often too, there's so much, there can be distractions and there can be so much going on. So really reinforcing that clarity of purpose and focus. You know, this is what we need to do, you know, for you to execute, this is what needs to happen, right? Or pulling that from the athlete, um, being that sounding board saying, okay, tell me about what, what, what your plan is for this and, and just tweaking that. Um, I think the other thing that the coach can do, because we're going to have doubts and fears, athletes will have doubts and fears. That's normal. That's, that's a protective mechanism, right? And so that little reinforcement, um, providing that evidence, right? That little whisper of, yes, you can, and not just, you got this, go for it, slugger. But it's like, <laughs> do you remember when we grinded through all that training? Do you remember when we played that, that intense game when you were completely fatigued? Do you remember when? And so I think offering that, that reinforcing and that complete, um, that, that, that messaging that I believe in you go for it. Right. So, so I think at the event coach can play a variety of roles and th those are just a few that, that I'm thinking off the top of my head. I, I think that's, that's, that's a really good point that actually you can prepare as a coach to uh, boost an athlete's confidence by having a list of facts, you know, prior to the event. So if you get stuck, you go like, here's the facts, bang, 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 bang. You know they, they don't they don't can't dispute that that's only going to increase their confidence I, I, I like that but I'm, I'm I'd imagine it also would work for the grind as well but I'm keen to hear what you say please continue yeah so um so the grind I mean it's 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 similar like like and once again for both you'll use similar similar tactics just depending on but but it but once again the context is different and so I had the opportunity to do a bit of work for uh, compete to create so I don't know if you ever heard of Pete Carroll Mike Gervais. Um, yeah, they developed a, a company. And, and so part of the training for that was to go observe the Seahawks. So Pete Carroll, have you guys heard of Pete Carroll? Yeah, uh, yeah. Amazing, amazing at developing culture, amazing at, you know, just, just high performance over, over consistency. Um, and anyway, the, the, there's a few things I think for the grind is one, number one is really bringing it back to why are we here? What's the point? What, what do we all believe in the common purpose? What are we trying to do? Right. And so I think, what does that, what does that look like for each individual? But what, what are we trying to do as a collective team? Right. And then I think, and, and this is a, a Pete Carrollism, but it's, it's, it's dripping it in. Right. So it's like, what are the messages? What are the things we need to reinforce on a consistent basis? So, you know, if it's about um, we need to execute on this play. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, that's what comes out in the video, or this is how we're successful. That's what comes out in the video, or it's, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly dripping in those messages to reinforce those things. And then, and then I think um, it's also about, the environment and how do we create novelty? How do we switch it up just a little bit so that I keep them on their toes? What is it with gambling, intermittent reinforcement, right? And that, <laughs> that keeps us sustained for a long time and creates those addictions. Well, well, what can we do that, that keeps it, keep, keeps the, the environment and keeps the people on their toes? And then I, I heard this from a, a coach, uh, Tommy Wielden. Um, so he's a, a football coach coach soccer for us but football for you uh in calgary but comes from the uk um anyway 
and 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 they had to go create they had to go compete in the bubble right in in, in one of the bubble games and and how are we going to keep these guys going for eight weeks in this bubble um they can't leave same environment and and he talked about sugar lumps because they're the cavalry right horses but but what are the little sugar lumps um that we can get them to give them these little boosts so maybe it's ordering pizza or maybe it's um you know we have a netflix night or maybe it's you know whatever 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 kind of reinforcer to to change things up and just create some positive energy and buys maybe it's games night or whatever that is right so so i think it is a few things is really keeping them clear on the on the common purpose um the consistency and 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 um the process and the structure um the reinforcement and then creating that novelty and and those sugar lumps if you like Karn, i love that um and i think what i'm taking out from that is actually for an olympic uh sports psych or an olympic coach they're concerned about the next 30 seconds but actually the coach in the the grind sport where it's a long-term thing has to actually consider the culture and context and the climate they're creating over the next year and it's kind of like they're they're nearly trying to create a mexican wave you know that feeling when you're part of a really good team or part of something special and it's like the energy of a mexican wave you get in the stadium where it slowly builds and then it's amazing that's kind of what the grind is all about i think whereas when it comes to the event approach it's much more like this idea that you know i just everything is focused there deliver it and perform and nothing after matters whereas with this grind aspect it's it's much more dynamical and there's consequences to be thought of so i find that interesting pete what did you take from that um i i really like the the idea of changing it up because you know part of what i was thinking around this question was you know 82 games in a season right as a coach what what do you say you know just before game 57 that's different or that that that, that keeps it fresh or you know how do you, you know, what do you say that's different to what you said in game 55 or game 53 or game 41 you know but i love that idea of just kind of keeping it fresh and dropping in these little nuggets and changing it up and and being able to do that um and i think finding ways of doing that's the real trick isn't it yeah yeah and that's where that that's what pete said is like um you've got to figure out how to say the same thing over and over in a different way mm-hmm. right like like that's that's the trick right and and one thing i'll just come back to uh, hugh is is like like and i think we're, we're kind of saying either or i wouldn't say that i think it's an and one of the when we look at you know the difference makers going into um the event like an olympic games um it's it's the individual resilience it's um you know around the planning and its team uh, effectiveness or team culture and so you know going into the games as with ski cross canada the 2018 games we had a gold medal a silver medal um on the women's side and a gold medal on the bronze and a fourth place and and when we really look at one of the difference makers it was that culture that we created and, and what that did it has almost created a little bit of a buffer from the stress of the environment right because we kind of had this 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 culture and 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 people felt comfortable and they could trust it and and then we could just do our thing so so i think i agree with you it's this build um with the over time with the grind at the same time i think at the event so much like we do so much work on on creating that culture and that environment um and trying to create familiarity of the event like like this is what you need to do to execute outside of the games 
you need to do the same bloody things inside. It's just the context is different, right? So have you guys ever seen the movie Hoosiers? Yeah. Gene Hackman? Yeah, you're a bit of, and yeah, so yeah, remember yeah. when when the scene. So there's this scene to our listeners where you know they go through and it's a small small town based on a true story, um, and then they go to this major event and they're in this huge stadium and and the coach takes out a measuring tape and he measures from the back line to the the free throw line and from the base like from the floor to the net. It's the same court, just in a different context, right? So I think there's there's that piece as well. Hugh and I are here with Dr. Karen McNeil discussing the event versus the grind and the differences and similarities in the psychology behind those two different types of sport. So far, Hugh, I'm I'm still on the side of the grind. Like I said earlier, I think it just sits with me more. Uh, I think I'm I'm more suited to that type of of sport than the event. What about you? Have you changed your mind yet? What's your thinking? Yeah, Peter, I think I'm much more about the grind. I'd rather you know, struggle every day and, and try and do my best every day as opposed to delay gratification for some long, long thing. I'd like to enjoy what I do and grind through a sport, I think. Um, Karn, any thoughts? Yeah, well, the thing is, is I think the event, I think you get the best of both worlds because you get the event and the grind because there's world cups and there's world championships and like, like it's not just like we're going to this one thing. Um, however, it is the pinnacle. It is the prize. It is the the thing like I'm an Olympic gold medalist is different than I won a World Cup, right? And so it's the mm. meaning we put into it that makes it different. However, as for the event, I, I get to do the grind and I get the event. So I get both. So I'm on, I'm on that <laughs> side for sure. Well, dear listeners, we would love your thoughts on this too. So you can tweet us at EPM Podcast and let us know what you think. Maybe you're an athlete who competes in one of these sports. Maybe you're a psych who works in one of these areas. Tweet us your comments uh, or get in touch via the website, www.80percentmental.com. So, Karen, it's it's one thing when you're grinding towards a championship, all right, or you're on a championship run. What about when you're playing for a crappy team? You know, what about when you're the Sacramento Kings and you're <laughs> grinding through uh, losses? You mentioned managing the narrative earlier. You know, tell me a bit about that. Is, is it different? Yeah, and, and I can speak from experience because I was on one of those crappy teams for, for <laughs> a bit of a time. And, and um, when I was playing uh, the junior junior national team with field hockey and and it's just a different level um, from what how we prepare in Canada. It's not very popular versus all the different teams around the world. Like we were just at a different level. So we go to this tournament, but but we were there preparing two months long and we're just getting our butts handed to us, really. Um, and so the coach comes in and, and she says, OK, we're not going to have a goal to win. We're going to have a goal to be able to pass three times. And and we're like, no, like we have to go to win. <laughs> That's not realistic, right? So, so I think you're you're a competitor for a reason, um, and you don't want to go into the like you suck. Let's try and figure out, you know, um, what are some challenges? These small wins that will make you feel better. Uh -huh. And so, I think I think the thing with that is really it comes down to um, what has personal meaning to you, 
right? And so if you're on one of these teams and maybe like, let's take, you know, the Premier League or, you know, one of those, a uh, different level, um, and you may be at the bottom of the table. Um, and so what is it about for you? What is it about for this team? So I think it comes back to the coach to be really um, a visionary and saying, hey, guys, like, yes, we want to improve. And yes, we're not going to get to the top of the table, but this is what we're about. This is the brand of our team. And this is what we want to be known for. So mm -hmm. every time we go out, this is what we're trying to do. And then bring it back to the individual level. And so, okay, you're losing, um, but people are driven for meaning for purpose for growth you know like like what can i do to get better in this game or what's the contribution i can make and if i make that contribution what impact will that have on my team or that kid sitting in the stand that just loves us right so i think it's it's connecting to a larger meaning outside of the result right but understand being an athlete in that it <laughs> it's not fun sometimes but it's great at the other times because the journey i'm in spain right now losing these games like that was great right so yeah it's funny because we did an episode on um uh sports parents recently mm. and one of the things that came out from that episode was exactly what you've just been talking about was finding meaning in something other than the sport so yeah. using those experiences of playing sports to think about okay well what else am i doing here i'm traveling i'm seeing the world i'm you know connecting i'm developing other skills so totally. just kind of make that connection there the gratitude piece right like that's so huge yeah i find it interesting you know uh, we talk about finding meaning in the sport whenever we're in, on losing teams, but then whenever we're dealing with <laughs> athletes who are winning, we're talking about finding meaning outside of sport because they find too much meaning in sport. <laughs> it's like no matter where you go, you have to fi try and find meaning in somewhere you don't have it already. Uh, it's a bit of a paradox, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, on that note, Karen, um, I'm interested, like, you know, some people – as a sports psych or even myself as a coach and i'm sure pete you've experienced it especially in team sports you might have somebody who's got what would say like natural talent you know they might be physically gifted or physically shaped appropriately for their sport and they might be absolutely horrible trainers you know they might not put a lot of effort in when they train and that type of a thing and that can even lead to poor team dynamics in a team sport I'm I'm just uh, interested. What is your take on this? Um, like these people who maybe they might be ego driven because they only like to compete and not train, or somebody who prefers to compete but not train. What would you do as a psych, um, or how would you help them? Or if you didn't have access to them, how would you tell their coach to work with them? Yeah, great question. And and I actually had an individual um, in one of the Olympic cycles exactly like this. And and it was challenging for the coach and 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 we just had to figure out different ways. And so I think I think the first thing is, you know, people who don't or aren't engaged in the training, um, I think we have to be careful of the assumptions we make around that. So is it lazy? Is it they don't like it? Is it that they're ego driven? Or um, is it is it maybe a, an attention issue? Is it maybe around some core wounds around and, and it is very external or extrinsically motivated, right? So I think we have to look at that. And so I think uh, when we when we look at the ones that are up for the big game, 
uh, once again, I think going back to it is, is you have to look at what are the motivational sources. So, so we all know about extrinsic and intrinsic motivation, you know, intrinsic being around uh, growth development, uh, something that's more uh, personal and, and, and it is more sustainable. The extrinsic is around the awards, is around the um, validation is what we get externally. And, and for this athlete in particular, um, very solely, solely externally driven and and leading to be one of the best in the world and so what created meaning was validation and reinforcement which came from some earlier stuff in his childhood right and so that's the thing the assumption is is, is it's just a core wound playing out in in this environment kind of thing and so what we needed to do is not work against the grain work with the grain okay we need external um you know you're externally motivated so let's do a training session and then let's stream it out um, and let's see how many tweets and likes you get, um, you know, so so you can be creative with what the individual needs. So I think it's really looking at the the sources of motivation. What really switches that individual on? Why are they doing this? Um, where do they get their energy from? And then creating the context or the environment around them to reinforce some of those things. That's brilliant. I really like that idea of uh, streaming out a training session to uh, motivate somebody who's extrinsically motivated. That's very sneaky, but brilliant. And that's the sort of brilliance I like. Pete, <laughs> talk to me. I was ju- I was just going to say, you know, it, it reminds me of um, the Last Dance documentary, which we've, we've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast, but specifically the episode around Dennis Rodman and how to deal with, with him. And, you know, what you just said there, Karen, was, was essentially kind of meeting the individual where they are and allowing them a certain amount of rope. You're allowing them to be themselves essentially and framing your training uh, and the way that you uh, approach things around the player rather than trying to fit them into a, you know, fit a, a, a square peg into a round hole. Um, yeah. And I think we have this, you know, like I think in each and in each sport culture is going to have a perception of what an athlete is. And I think what we need to do is we need to look at the person and look at at, at how they're wired and how they're made um, or what makes them up and kind of say, well, well, who are you at your best and what do you need in order for that to happen? And and put bumpers on that because we can't just have a bunch of rogues and individuals that won't work for team culture. Put some rules and, hey, you, you can do you, but do it amongst these bumpers, but then how do we celebrate, elevate this person and, and give him that rope and that bandwidth? Like Rodman, I watched Last Dance exactly, right? Mm-hmm. To, to kind of play to his strengths, play to that individual strengths. Okay, Karen, um, I've got a bit of a strange uh, confession to make. I uh, started trying to skateboard at 33 um, because I was going through a midlife crisis and my ankles got uh, progressively worse with the multiple injuries. But the the thing is that I quite enjoyed it because there was nobody judging me. I wasn't good. You know, I wasn't bad. I was just playing on a skateboard. And w- what about people who don't like to compete? Uh, sports that are more playful in approach, such as parkour or skateboarding or surfing. Is there something important going on there in terms of psychology about how people can continually endeavor to self-improve, but there's there's no event and there's no grind they're just always playing. This doesn't fit into what we're talking about today. So uh, I'm just going to shoehorn it right in the middle, Pete. Sorry about that. What are your thoughts, Karen? 
I would suggest it, it does exactly talk like, like kind of fit in what we're talking about, because I think with these individuals and I've, I've been around the surfing culture, I've been around, um, snowboarding. I worked with, 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 um, team Canada snowboarding, right. When it kind of got into Olympic stream versus just being the pro and, and being this freestyle type thing. Right. And I, I think where it meets what we're talking about is these individuals, um, they like to play, but, but if I throw it back at you, Hugh, were you just doing it to have fun or did you want to see if you could do that trick or if you could do that, you know, like, I don't know, skateboard language, wheelie, whatever it's called, you know what I mean? So I think it's this whole idea of challenge and, and kind of the self-actualization of, I want to get better. In addition to, I'd say with those sports is there's a, there's a belonging, there's a culture, there's a vibe that they want to stay loyal to, right? So, so in the surf culture, you know, um, to be all aggro and competitive for some, it may work, but for others, that's not really the vibe, right? And so people, um, are attracted to these kind of cultures or these populations for a certain reason. So, so I think with that is, you know, with it, it's partly the belonging. It's partly this whole, um, I want to challenge myself to get better at this because that's fun for me. Right. But what are our Olympians doing? What are, our, you know, basketball players doing, right? Like it's, it's slightly different, but it's really about that. How good can I be, um, at this thing? Yeah. I see what you're saying there. It's actually me challenging myself, um, more so than being challenged by the sport. The motivation is just solely intrinsic. That's a, that's a fa- fair, fair pushback. Um, Thanks very much for shaping my opinions in that. Pete, uh, have you ever fallen off a skateboard? Um, I have, yeah, n- numerous times uh, when I was when I was a child. I cracked my front tooth because um, I, I, I flew off a skateboard when I was uh, when I was younger. Um, I also went straight over the handlebars on my bike when I rode it into a tree stump when I was about uh, <laughs> when I was about thirteen as well. So. Um, yeah, fair share of injuries from doing stupid stuff. Uh, I had no idea that you'd taken up skateboarding, though. So that's something that I've learned today. Um, knowing knowing what you, <laughs> knowing what you know now, uh, Karen, if you could start again, because obviously you had a you know a long career as an athlete, if you could start again and choose absolutely anything, what sport would you choose to excel in, and why? Ooh, um, individual for sure. And, and so much comes from a team sport, but you're dependent on the team in order to get anywhere. Um, so yeah, individual sport. And I think, uh, you know what, probably mountain biking for the reasons of, um, the challenge of it, it's outside, it's a summer sport. Um, so you're not freezing. I've, st- I've stood on more freezing cold ski hills than I would like as a, as a consultant. Mm. Um, <laughs> and you get to travel and you get to see, you know, the world with that. So, so part of it's that, and it's this individual where you can compete throughout the year at all the different world cups, but you can also, um, challenge yourself to perform on demand at games. Yeah. Mountain biking. And I, I love mountain biking too. So. So that's that mix, that very mix that we've been talking about throughout this, isn't it? Is that, grind yet with the events that you can uh that you can excel at that you can peek at that you can work towards and i think as we're going through this episode we're starting to see that actually they're more although some of the you know there there are some differences that they're more kind of one and the same almost maybe not as separate as we perhaps first thought 
Hugh, what about you? I mean, obviously you took up skateboarding in your mid thirties, but if you could start again, you know, if you could choose a sport to excel at, what would it be? And, and, and again, why would it be, would it be an eventy or a grindy type sport or a combination of both? That's a really interesting question. And I think, uh, I really, uh, enjoyed playing hurling and that's a parochial sport based in the community that you're from in ireland and i think i wouldn't change that at all i think it was brilliant um i'd still like to be involved only i'm, I'm living in england now so i can't but um i don't know I, I i was drawn to skateboarding and surfing because like they seemed exotic and fun and adventurous and that's why i started doing that whenever i'm in my 30s but yeah, I think maybe those, but I still think they wouldn't have a patch on on Gaelic sports uh, like hurling. Um, Pete, what about you though? I mean, uh, what would you choose? I mean, basketball's like it's not really much of a sport. I, I don't rate basketball. Um, there's Easy only enough. like five players, and there's only five players in the team. Like it's hardly even. You should have more mates than five want? players. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> But no, seriously, Pete, basketball, really? Is there, is there not something better for you that, that you should have done? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I, like Karen said, there's a lot to be said for the, the, you know, the team sport environment. And I certainly got a lot from that. Um, I think, again, I like the, the grind of playing over and over again over the course of a season because of that, you know, you get the, if you, if you play really well, you get to carry on that momentum straight away. And if you play really badly, there's an opportunity to put that right straight away. Whereas if you're working towards something that's like a long, an, an event like the Olympics, that chance to either keep it going or put it right doesn't come for an, for a long time. And I think I would find that quite hard. In terms of sports that I, that I would love to, I don't know, have put something into or to excel at, I think for me, it's the type of sports where you know, you finish knowing that you've just given absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. So I watch things like uh, cycling and the, uh, you know, the road race in the Olympics, for example. And you see, you know, you've crossed the finish line and the, these athletes have nothing, absolutely nothing left. And I think that's the type of sport that I would love to, to, uh, to excel in. I don't know whether I've mm. got a temperament for it, but it's certainly something that I would, uh, you know, see myself doing. Yeah, it seems seems desirable anyway. Um, I, I'm going to flip this on its head again. Sorry, Pete, I'm hijacking uh, the event versus the grind. But what <laughs> about in terms of, uh, Karn, you know, your knowledge of this idea of the event versus the grind, how would we apply things from that area or those ways of thinking into health interventions? So such as like people who don't like watching their training or the, or the diet, um, but they like the fact that, you know, they might not have the event or the anti-event of having a heart attack. Um, like I'm nearly as old as Pete now. Um, and well, I'm always going to be a few years behind you, but, uh, I need to look after my, <laughs> I need to look Can after my health, you know, this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I need to look after my health and, uh, what advice would you have about breaking down a health intervention into the event? versus the grind of a health intervention from psychology? Yeah, and, and really it's this whole idea, and I've, I've presented at conferences on the whole idea of high-performance living, right? And, and so how do, we, how do we take these principles, but how do we maintain it 
Um, because we all want to be healthy. We all want to watch our weight and do all those things. So it's not out of motivation, um, but it can be a grind and it takes a lot of discipline. Right. And so in order to sustain that, I think over time, there's a few things. And number one, it's the same same kind of principles. What does good look like? So so if I'm if I have high performance living or if I'm managing my health in the way that that is is aligned with how I want, what are those things that I'm doing and and what are those um, indicators? You know, so I'm a certain weight or uh, my blood pressure is at a certain place or whatever that may be. Um, And then I think once again, the meaning in it. So why? Like, why not sit on the couch and eat a bag of Doritos um, consistently and, and, and drink my beer? Well, well, is it because I want my pants to fit? And, and that could be. But if there's a deeper meaning of like, I'm, I'm, I have a seven-year-old and I've got to run after her and, and I'm a bit of an older mom. And so I've got to sustain my health over time. And if I'm, if I'm doing it because I want to be an active and engaged mom, that, that gives way more discipline to my actions than me just wanting my pants to fit a bit better. So that would be one thing. I think the other thing is there's a lot of, there can be a lot of cognitive load going on to thinking about, ah, should I do this or not? Should I do that or not? So I think creating those habits, um, creating a bit of a system that's easy to implement and then creating habits. So for example, I had a CEO I'm working with super busy, needed to take care of the health. And we just went through the recovery pillars, um, like moving, um, eating and connecting. And so we did that on his way into work. So he'd park 20 minutes away. He'd walk in, walk out. There's 40 minute brisk walk. He'd listen to a podcast on something. That's the kind of getting the mind thing. And then he'd, you know, have himself sorted with some healthy snacks. So that took no extra effort other than a little bit of pre-planning, right? So I think incorporating and making habits out, out of it. And then lastly, the system of accountability. So having me or have it like, like if I have a, a friend I'm meeting for a run, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bail on that. If I'm just saying, Hey, I want to go for a run. I may bail on that. Right. So, so it's having that system of accountability, whether it's people or whether it's um, you know, I have to report into a person and say, Hey, what am I doing? Those kind of things. So those are, those are a few things we can maybe borrow um, and, and people can think about. Yeah. I like the idea of, um, you know goals versus values which i think you you mentioned earlier and we talked a little bit about that in our um goal setting uh episode that we did a while back in 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 series one the difference between motivation and commitment and that actually commitment that's values based can be a much more powerful driver than that goals based uh motivation so i think that's really interesting yeah i think the, the the big question of what would this mean to you uh if you achieved it is uh, that that opens up so much when you're talking to somebody just what would this mean to you if you achieved it and you, you get an answer of what's going to get them out of bed what's going to stop them bailing on it so yeah great points right um karen i uh i'm not going to beat it around the bush here you have achieved uh, an impressive amount in sports psych and myself and pete were a little bit awestruck that we're having you on the podcast all the way we're from canada so i'm going to dig into some of your experiences here and I'm going to start off with a question about uh, for for our listeners who are trainee sports psychs. I want your top tips for and in under sixty seconds, not a big answer. In under sixty seconds, what is the gold <laughs> nuggets of uh, that you would give to trainee sports psychs who are preparing athletes or teams for the event and then for the grind? So within sixty seconds, what? nuggets does a sports psych need to remember for both of those 
uh, for the sports psych trainee, do your own work. Know who you are at your best, and and because I think yeah, so do your own work would be would be one thing um, for the event. Understanding the Olympic context is different than any other. So so try and either a be prepared for that or or um, yeah, just make sure you're incorporating that for the grind for a trainee. Um, don't overdo it. Drip it in. It's little tiny little bits of things. If you try and over function during the grind, people will shut you down and you will no longer be effective over the long term. That is a mic drop there. I think that's something I actually need to do better myself. That's that's class. Drip it in. Uh, your 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 interventions are dripped in over the year. I like it. Um, so it doesn't hinge in one big thing. Okay, right. Let's move swiftly on then. In sixty seconds again. Top tips for uh, getting better as an athlete at the event and then at the grind. Event. Um, clarity of what good looks like. What are the behaviors I need to reproduce to be at my best? Um, and then track that to get the reliability uh, that you can reproduce it. Adapt to the current context. Notice what's going on in the moment and, and just use your tools to adapt and, and then kind of the laser focus on um, what I need to do to be my best and just let how you feel be. So it's, it's, it's accepting you're not going to feel normal um, and, and knowing what you need to do to be your best. Okay, that's not 60 seconds, but here we go. Grind. <laughs> um, I, I can't. I just, I get too no, nothing, nothing happens. This. Nothing happens. I know, you know, I know but it's a goal. It's a challenge. He's like, he gave me the challenge and I can't because I just get too passionate. And anyway, okay, I'll get, okay, the grind. 60 seconds or less. Um, oh, I guess it was the whole question. Um, <laughs> same thing. What, what good looks like. Set an intention daily. So, so it's, it's instead of just going for this long crate bumpers. So this week, this is what my main um, challenge is for me, right? This week or this game, create novelty and then energy management plans uh, to make sure you can sustain the effort over a long period of time. That was, that was better. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, yeah that was that, good. That, that was 60 seconds. Well, nothing happens. It's not a trap door going to open up underneath you, or like you're not going to like get hooked off the side of the stage or anything like that. It's just it's my competitive nature, my job. <laughs> Maybe in season three, when we get our studio built and we invite people in, Pete, we can have a trap door, and uh, we can we can. That do is that. a good idea. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Well, that's pretty much all we've got time for on this episode. And it's been an absolute treat, to be honest. I would go so far as to call it a right Bobby Dazzler of an episode. Um, Ooh. We talked. I don't know yeah, what that I means, know. but it's a good. It's a good thing, yeah. It's a good okay. thing. Um, in fact, I want you to start using that phrase in Canada. Um, ne next time I come over to Canada, I want to hear people saying that things are a right Bobby Dazzler. Right um, Bobby Dazzler. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? <laughs> that would be a great sound clip uh, if you could just go, Karn. The eighty percent mental podcast is a right Bobby Bobby Dazzler. <laughs> is is this where we've got to? Is this what we've become? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the eighty percent mental podcast is a right Bobby Dazzler.
Perfect. That's amazing. Um, right. I've totally forgotten where I was up to because that's just distracted me. So <laughs> you were saying thank you. It's been was, a right, Bobby yes. Dazzler. You're so awesome. Blah. No, stop. Stop. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna get to that. Bit. So in, in this episode, we've talked to Dr. Karen. I can get your name right. In this episode, we've talked to Dr. Karen McNeil about the event versus the grind. And I just want to say a, a massive thank you to Karen for joining us today on 80% Mental. So thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. Uh, it's always good to reflect on your practice and what you're doing. And, and kudos to you guys. As I said earlier, um, as professionals in the field, having experts to listen to and, and get a glimpse into their process has been awesome. So uh, the eighty percent mental podcast has been a right Bobby Dazzler. <laughs> That's amazing and un- unprompted as well. Um, so we've discussed the event versus the grind. That was the premise that we started out with, and uh, we've talked about the motivation of the grind, grinding through that long season. And Karen talked to us about energy management, about focus, about managing the narrative and the need to change things up and to learn how to say the same thing in a hundred different ways. We talked about the event and understanding that those things are different in terms of the scale and the size and perhaps the stress that's involved in them as well. And accepting that and preparing for the fact that it's not all going to be perfect. But from an athlete point of view and a psych point of view, perhaps the event and the grind aren't necessarily as different as maybe we first thought. I think one of the things that our listeners will really take from this episode is something that you said almost towards the end there, Karen, and that was about the drip feed, the slow drip of um, trying to make a change during that long season or during that sort of uh, long period of time. And we have a natural tendency, I think, to want to make a difference. So for all of the young sports psychs who are listening, you want to be part of it. You want to make a difference. You want to show what you can do. But actually, as as you said there, Karen, it's a a perfect way to get yourself shut down. And what we need to be doing is slow drip, make a small change or suggest something little, not do everything at once. Um, I hope that you have all enjoyed listening to this episode. Don't forget to check out all of our other episodes at www.80percentmental.com and please do subscribe wherever it is that you listen to your podcasts. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you spread the word, share this episode or any others on your social media, tell your friends, go stand on a street corner and shout about how much you love 80% Mental and how much of a right Bobby Dazzler it is. Maybe explain what 80% mental it is though if you're standing on a street corner shouting but direct people to the website or the twitter handle at epm podcast anyway that's all from us for this episode uh it just remains for me to say one last time thank you very much to dr karen mcneil pleasure to be here you guys thanks so much i'll edit out that massive gap don't worry and thanks okay. to hugh gilmore as usual by my side not really by my side because we still don't have a studio but thank you hugh well thank you pete uh, for doing all the work you do and bringing it all together and editing out all those lovely mistakes and making it sound like a bobby dazzler what 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 mistakes i hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time we won't see you it's a podcast